You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who traded all my Bitcoin for a pair of cool sunglasses because you can't wear Bitcoin. But in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair, I'm so excited to have Brad Garlinghouse, the CEO of Ripple. I knew him when he was other things, but now he's the CEO of Ripple, which is an online exchange for tokens representing fiat currency, cryptocurrency, commodities, and more. He previously was CEO of Hightail. That was a bad period, wasn't it? That was a wind in your face trying to turn something around. All right, whatever. Oh, that Welcome to Recode. Ripple, right. I, 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 what, how would you like me to describe it? You describe it. not an it exchange. What, what, are what are you? What are? How would you describe it? Ripple is effectively an enterprise software company okay. selling blockchain and crypto technologies to banks, payment providers, financial institutions globally to mm-hmm. solve a cross-border payments problem. Oh, that's well done. Thank very you. nice. Thank very you. nice. So we're going to talk about your journey, Brad, because let's talk. All thank right. you for correcting me immediately. That's a nice thing for you to do. So <laughs> let's go through your history because people know you from a lot of other things, right? Where did you start? I forget. My first job in Silicon Valley, I moved out here in 1997 and joined a company called the At Home Network. Oh, you were at Old at school. Home. You were at Wall Street Journal those days, yes, I Yes, I was trying to take that company down. That was a full of... Suspect characters. Who's who ran it? There were a lot of really Tom Germalock, oh, TJ. Oh, him. That guy. Anyway, he liked to regardless sell stock of what you thought about the— talk up the company. That's, that was my remembrance What's of him. What's cool for me to think about is—I mean, the at-home network, as much as it maybe— Explain to could, people what it was. It, it was, was an early—it was a great idea. Well, that's just a great idea. It was the first company to roll out cable modems. Right, right. You think about how dependent we are. I mean, we went— at home really had a major impact on moving people from dial up to broadband. Yes, they did. Yes. And they probably they catalyzed <sighs> exactly. Right. But you they pro- also probably catalyzed the telephone companies to they did. They had big more aggressively engage in DSL. Do you remember and, the fights with AT&T and yeah. everyone else? So they originally had the cable, and then they merged inexplicably with Excite. A- with Excite, and then yeah. it was Excite at home, which is the idea of putting the concept of putting the portals together with the high-speed networks. Yeah. AOL was trying that at Time Warner. It didn't yep. work out. never worked out. Yep. Why did you go there? What was the concept? Well, I had been, uh, pre-business school, I had been at SBC Communications, what mm-hmm. now is AT&T, right. and been involved with rolling out ISDN. Now, at the time, that. ISDN, like, that was super that fast. That was fast. That yeah. was fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was familiar with uh, the challenge of uh, just broadband connectivity and twisted pair and the limitations, mm-hmm. and I read this article. And SBC was big. I wrote about it at the Washington Post. Indeed. ISDN. I can't get those days back, I have to tell you. All you, the time you I like spent. You aged a day. I just want to say, I cannot... Imagine I wrote about ISDN so much back then, and now I'd forgotten until you just mentioned it. Yeah, I don't know. I can't 
remember what it stands for right now. But Whatever. anyway, I read an article in Wired magazine mm-hmm. while I was at business school uh, about John Malone and John Doerr mm-hmm. talking about leveraging coaxial cable to deliver broadband. John Malone, a legend too. And I cold oh, called cable legend the board members at the you know the starting. It was when Will Hurst was the CEO of oh, At Home, yeah, and I right. got myself an internship there. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I was technically an intern at TCI, the big cable company. That's also long it was gone. Another one, yeah. We're dating ourselves. I know we are, but that's okay. So you did that, and then you worked it at home, and then went over to Yahoo, right? Correct. No, I went in between there. Uh, I was at a company called Dialpad, doing voice oh, over IP. Damn. Oh, yeah, God. early days of VoIP. Jesus, you've hit them all, haven't you? <laughs> Yikes. Well, it was a good what fit for me because Dialpad? I was a telco guy, and um, you know this was obviously pre-Skype and the kind of Netphone yeah. era. Mm-hmm. And that was, I mean, on one hand, things were a lot of consumer adoption, but at a time when, you know, the dot-com crash was crashing upon us. Sure. I'm only making you do this because I want them to understand that you were always at the forefront of some yeah, trying new stuff, some I sketchy guess. stuff, but something interestingly early stuff. Sketchy. You know, sketchy. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, long story short, kind of shortening this chapter, uh, Ended up at Yahoo bought Dialpad. Yep. I uh, had a long run at Yahoo. You uh, had a famous run at Yahoo. What did you well, run? It there? could be famous and long. Yes, yes. We have to talk about peanut butter. You know that. That's yeah, everyone knows you. So, uh, so you were at Yahoo. What did way, you do there? Nobody knows me for peanut butter anymore. That's yes, a long time do. ago. Yes, they do. I know now you're the rich CEO of Ripple. I get that. But I'm just saying, you. Did, that was a big moment when you talked about that because it was the first time people were talking about uh, innovation problems within a company that was yeah. successful. Yeah. It was. It was one of the first times because everything was up and to the right with internet. Companies. I mean, look, I, I loved my experience at Yahoo. Mm-hmm. There were, the, I mean, it, as I was just talking about on the way into mm-hmm. uh, your studio here, uh, the diaspora of Yahoo alums is yeah. a really impressive, great group of people. It and uh, in the first handful of years I was at Yahoo, it was up and to the right. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember going into kind of weekly staff meetings, and every time you're up in our forecast, and you know, we could do no wrong. Mm-hmm. But you did start to see cracks in the ice, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think, as is true in all of life, the first step to solving a problem is admitting you have one. Mm-hmm. I think Yahoo is a little bit slow in acknowledging mm-hmm. it had one, mm-hmm. uh, despite your pointing it out. Yeah, I tried to do it on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah. But what, why did you, what prompted you to write that memo? You've talked about it before. But. Yeah, I've talked a little bit about it. I mean, uh, the actual thing that happened was there was an article in the New York Times, as I recall, it was a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And a gentleman named Saul Hansel, writing for the New York Times, wrote an article uh, about Yahoo. Mm -hmm. And later that day, we used to do, uh, with the executive staff, there's a daily, we call it stand-up meetings, where Mm -hmm. you just check in for 15 minutes, a stand-up meeting. And at that meeting, there was a a kvetching about this New York Times article. And I think at the meeting, I was probably, um, if not the lone voice, a lone, relatively speaking, lone voice Mm -hmm. in saying, no, actually, there's some really good points here. And at the time, my then boss, I think, to mostly get me to shut up, said, uh, mm-hmm. why don't you write down what you think, you know, and uh, out of that little seed oh, you ran with it. came the peanut butter manifesto. Which you talked about the idea that you get covered with peanut butter, right? Well, the, the peanut butter analogy actually also came from the budgeting process at Yahoo because mm-hmm. someone had said during a budgeting process that, you know, we, we spread our resources around like peanut butter and everybody mm-hmm. gets some. And I remember I used that metaphor as a, like, that's what's wrong, mm-hmm. you know. And I think even today in life, prioritize. Yeah, you got to decide. You can't be all things to all people. Mm-hmm. That's true in all parts of mm-hmm. business yeah. and pro- personal, yeah. professional. And I think Yahoo is too slow to let go of things trying to be working. all things to all people and right. things that were working. And 
And it meant that things that were working Didn't got underinvested in. Right. Things that weren't working well, you know, the kind of good money after bad. And look, there's a lot to love about the Yahoo experience, and that was a very difficult time and place. I think a lot of smart people were trying to address it, including after I left and, you know, uh, Carol Bartz came in and then mm-hmm. Marissa and I'm sure I think oh, Scott Thompson. Yeah. But yeah, that didn't it, go well. As I look back, you know, I, I do think so much of innovation is born out of the culture of an organization. Sure. And, it, you know, a culture that encourages risk and tolerates failure mm-hmm. is, I think, a culture that will yield innovation. Because you got to take chances. you got to take risks. Right, right. And it's okay that some of the risks fail. So, speaking of which, you went to Hightail, right, to run? Yeah, after Yahoo, I actually spent about a year at an investment uh, called Silver Lake. Yes, you're right. That's right. You're and, one of those parking, uh, kind of an advisor. parking lot jobs, right? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think it was parking. Did it was you have fun. lunch? What happens during those things? It was a lovely days? lunch. What really happens during those things? Do you just sort of sit around and... Well, at the time, uh, I mean, it's still like in those... cappuccino or whatever. Ocacino. <laughs> they had beautiful offices. They did. Yes. I've been there. They have yes. nice lunches. They do. I agree yeah. with that as well. Yeah. So why? Well, uh, they hadn't yet at that point done, you know, what I would say you and I would define mm-hmm. as an internet deals. Right. And they obviously done a lot in the tech space, but they had looked at but not done an internet deal. And the idea was, hey, you know, I what thought maybe I knew something about the internet and I could maybe be helpful as they were looking at things. And, you know, I think they're also, maybe they would buy something, I'd go in and run it. But, you know, it's just kind of a, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> maybe pejoratively you called it a parking lot job. It's directionally fair. Whatever. It's, come on. It was super interesting, though. I got I to look about up. being an EIR because I wanted to sleep. That's what my whole thing. Yeah, but the, 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 the private equity guys don't call them EIRs. They call them senior advisors. It's the same. You know. all, they're all over there. Yeah. That's Egan, right? Egan Durbin. Egan Durbin. Although right. he was in London at the time. I see. You know, the guy named Mike Bingle, I looked yeah, at a number yeah. of deals with. And so, they did Skype while I was there, so which you, was super So you, yeah, that ended well. Um, so you were the CEO of Hightail then. This was a company, I was fascinated by this move by you. Well, you're also missing another chapter, which oh. you would greatly enjoy. Uh, yeah. I went to work for your friend Tim Armstrong. From, oh, my God, you were at AOL. Oh, my God, I forgot. Everyone's there, right? It's like. Well, that was, yeah, Tim did a really good job, I think, bringing in some really interesting oh, people. Right. People you know, I think, all of Tim's direct reports probably. Sure. What did you do there? Uh, the same kind of stuff I did at Yahoo. You know, yeah. I had the homepage. Uh, yeah. I had you know, mail, the oh, communication man. products. I just had him on stage, you know, talking about his new cockamamie idea. I'm sorry. Fascinating Retail, idea. Retail, as I recall. It's uh, direct-to-consumer DTC. It's his new thing. His, like, but email is DTC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Direct, yeah. but it's direct-to-consumer, you know, like Glossier kind of yeah. stuff. You know, yeah. whatever. It's, I love that he always comes up with something. I just love He's that. He's a clever guy, for He's sure. He's a clever So you were at AOL doing that, and then you went off and did Hightail. Correct. Trying to get you to ripple as soon as I can, but go I'm ahead. Sorry. So Hightail— uh, All we're finding out is that you had a lot of jobs, Brad Garland has. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. I, you Whatever. Know, uh, Yahoo is the longest tenure of mm-hmm. the jobs I've had in Silicon Valley, but you know, it's been a bunch of interesting stuff. And Hightail, for those of you familiar with it, uh, was a cloud-based storage— It was called of, something else. It was called You Send It when yes, I joined, and, and I felt like— the name. Yeah. Remember you sent me the name Hightail and I made fun of it? I can't imagine you yes, would do I that. Yes, I did. I had like a dirty remark, I think, around the word Hightail. But that anyway, sound so like the idea you. was, why did you like the concept of cloud storage? I think consistently I've tried to look at, you know, what are the big macro trends happening? And mm-hmm. I think, you know, local storage felt like it was dying and eroding. And, and sure. you know, I thought you send it had a large user base that you could potentially. Right. Great But idea. It, it was a turnaround. And in the face of, you know, Google Drive and Dropbox yep. and Box, like, you know, we were 
a pipsqueak That's trying right. to swim upstream. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's the famous Buffett saying that most turnarounds don't turn. Oh. <laughs> which uh, I feel like I I've, I've learned the hard way. Recently. I thought it would be fascinating. I had it. I had dinner with him. I, that, that would be on my bucket list for I sure. I don't eat uh, red meat very much, and I had a giant steak. That's all I have to say about that entire dinner. You know who That's I went it? with? Sue no. Decker. Oh, I love Sue. I know, another Yahoo. She's good people. We had a good time. He's everything and more. He's all that in a bag of chips. He seems very He's bright. exactly the way you'd imagine him, except yeah. there's a lot of more sugar than I realize going on, a lot more sugar and meat and butter. <laughs> that was the only thing. He owns Dairy Queen. Yeah, there's a lot of Which ice cream happening. There's Coca-Cola happening. There's steak. There's <laughs> butter everywhere. Otherwise, it was enjoyable. It was a highly enjoyable time. Good. He's really quite a legend. Anyway, back to you. Um, so how did you get to Ripple? I don't really know this story. I don't understand it. I, you've talked about it a little bit. Explain to the people. How did you, What I want to get people is that people, you can shift from one thing to the other. So cloud, local cloud surge was yeah. really important. It was a conceptual importance. It was a, it was a, it was a shift. It right. was a mm-hmm. computing shift. Right, you know, which AWS, you identified correctly. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I was probably right about the shift and right. wrong about— Directionally, you yeah. were correct. Yeah. All right, so but, how so Ripple— I, I, uh, I was, frankly, I'd left Hightail, mm-hmm. uh, and I was Uber driving. Oh, all right. And I thought that Did that would be— come to that, Brad? <laughs> <laughs> you just He's, were doing it? Why? I was fascinated by the shared economy. Mm-hmm. And— uh, What I, was I, your number? What did you get, like, 3.2? You know, I, actually, it's funny you— 3.2, that hurts, Kara. I, I, I have hurtful. a terrible score on Uber, let me just that say. That says a lot about it. Yeah. I thought, actually, interviewing people at Ripple, we should ask people their Uber score or right. Lyft score. Yeah. yeah, It's an interesting, like, how do you treat no. people when people aren't looking? No. Uh, I I did not have a five-star rating at the end. I did it for a month, and mm-hmm. I thought for sure that I'd end up with a five-star rating, but somebody didn't like me. What? What? Did, why did you do this? Just to see? I, I was you fascinated. How it works. Yeah. And I, I I'm frankly, I had... I had a bunch of entrepreneurial ideas of starting a company in the shared economy space. I was talking to Uber about potentially joining the company. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, anyway, the only reason I tell you that story is I was driving an Uber, and I got a recruiting call from a recruiter who I knew and I liked. And he said, uh, hey, this company, Ripple's looking for a COO. Have you heard of it? And I lied and said I had. Oh, okay. Well done. And <laughs> it, I, he, I, I wait, tried to wave him off, honestly, because mm-hmm. I, I, he described what the company was doing. And I said, well, look, you know, I don't know anything about payments. You should— you know, call, I know some people, PayPal or Visa. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he said, no, no, have you ever met this guy, Chris Larson? He's the co-founder of the company. He wants to hire somebody from outside of the Payments, system. Outside right. of, yeah, and it, with the idea being that, you know, if you're from inside the system, you don't necessarily see the opportunities right. in the same way. And so mm-hmm. uh, I had some time in my hands. Mm-hmm. And so I went and spent some time with Chris. And Chris is a brilliant, fascinating guy who, you know, honestly, he knows, he's heard me say this, but the first meeting I came out of, and I was like, I have no idea what he's talking about, but he might be on to something. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, and I was totally fascinated. <laughs> sounds like all of Silicon Valley. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's a VC remark, essentially. Yeah. So you, why did you think he was on to something? What, what struck you? Because had you thought about this area, Bitcoin and the whole area? Yeah. I, I mean, I, through my friend network, I uh, had gotten, I had invested in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a friend, Dave Goldberg, had kind of twisted my arm and yes. said, you really should own Bitcoin. So I bought some Bitcoin. But... You know, the, the pitch around Ripple was always that kind of there are limitations of trying to go around the government or attack the banks. Right. And isn't there a way you could partner with 
mm-hmm. the government and with the banks and with financial right. institutions. Now, Bitcoin wasn't a big thing then. It was a medium thing. It was like a it little was pretty trend. small yeah. at the time. I, I mean, remember hearing about it from Katie Middick and then what's yeah. his name? Zappo guy. Wences. Wences. Fabulous guy. Who was everyone's friend, right? Yeah. That's, he got you all into it, right? Well, so I was intrigued. Wences Casares. Exactly. I was intrigued and uh, in talking to Chris, I thought that he had a... a pragmatic, thoughtful way of, hey, how do we approach this as a way that can have the biggest impact on right. society? He talked a lot about this idea of enabling an internet of value. Okay. Why is it that we can move information you know, completely interoperably around the world? You can access any recode podcast from mm-hmm. anywhere in the world, yet you can't move your own money right. from point A to cross-border efficiently. Right. And a lot of the things have been focused on storage. Of Bitcoin. Like, I, there was a whole gang of them. Wences is one of them. There was yeah. all of them. Moving them, essentially buying and storing them. Yeah, I mean, I think the earliest entrance into crypto, you know, if you're going to enable this, you have to be able to buy them. Mm-hmm. Thus, emergence of things like Coinbase and Bitstamp. Right. Uh, but not use it. Yeah, I mean, buy you mean, you're well, so that, that was buying it, and then right. you got to be able to store it. Right. And so you have, well, obviously, Coinbase and Bitstamp allow you to store it, but so do, you know, inter- institutional players mm-hmm. like Zappo and what Wences and team are doing. But there's also, I think, increasingly, you know, people are focused on how do you use these technologies for real utility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just depending upon speculation to you kind of fuel the marketplace, right. I think, is a bad idea of the long right, term. Right, which it's been. That's, that's yeah. a lot of it's been. But you are also— As see- blockchain is developing as a technology. Yeah. Yeah, and I, but look, the way I think about it, you and I have both been around this ecosystem for a while. Mm-hmm. I, you know, technologies like TCP IP and HTTP were, from my point, not literally, but figuratively born in the 90s. And mm-hmm. I think what's happening is you have new platform technologies that mm-hmm. are the next TCP IPs. They are mm-hmm. the next HTTPs. Right. And I think there are going to be lots of businesses built upon them. Uh, what Ripple's doing, I think, is compelling and that we're very focused, you know, kind of the anti-peanut butter of... Mm-hmm. We're going to focus on one problem. It's cross-border payments. Right. Which this, people had done in different ways, right? There were tons of companies. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely companies, but really those have been— It was using cash and stuff like that. I mean, we are trying to rewire fundamentally the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And it, it's very unusual like to, to take on that at that base layer. Using cryptocurrency. Yeah, crypto is definitely part of it. Blockchain mm-hmm. and crypto is definitely part of the solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, again, because we've been focused, we've been super fortunate. We've signed up a couple hundred— uh, banks, financial institutions around the world, mm-hmm. and uh, it's working so far. So talk to me about the challenges you face, because there's a lot of controversy around your company, too. Yeah, I, mean, you know, I think part of the controversy is born of the original crypto community is very much, you know— Crazy. Li- <laughs> kind of, let's circumvent governments, let's enable uh, anonymous transactions. And there's still that ethos in part of the crypto community today— mm-hmm. You know, even from the early days, Ripple took a point of view that, no, 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 we're going to work with the system. We're going right. to work with banks. And, you know, if, if you're in the crypto community and you're working with the people that the you're other parts are to, trying to kill, right. that doesn't make you very popular. Right, right. So Ripple has had its controversies. I think increasingly people realize that these technologies are only relevant insofar as they're solving real problems. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of hype in this space. There's a so, lot of yes, experiments. Yes, I, uh, ICOs and stuff like that. Why has it? Why did it do that? Because I don't. I recall the early internet having that kind of con man-ish kind of thing, but it wasn't quite to the extent, the ridiculous extent that this extent. I don't know. There's some pretty crazy stuff back in the night. Yeah, I, mean, I guess. I guess. I, I don't know which one is better, which one's worse. I, right. There is no doubt that you know, I was one of the earliest people to come out and say that I, these ICOs are mostly scams and people mm-hmm. should avoid them, which also made us unpopular because mm-hmm. a lot of people loved the fact that I can't raise money up and down the traditional 
you know, Sand Hill Road circuit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to do an ICO. Right. That doesn't sound like... Takes money from people who yeah. do not have the money to afford it. Correct. Right. And so I actually think the, the kind of end of the ICO craze is a very healthy thing and the, the maturation of these technologies. Well, uh, good except thing. this concept behind it is great. The idea of finding other ways to raise money is a smart well, Democratizing fundraising is interesting as long as it's not through preying upon those that maybe don't have as much information and taking right. advantage of right, right, which a lot of that happened. Right, because and, the current fundraising system is sort of broken and, and extends only to certain yeah, people. There are problems with the current system for sure. Right. I don't think ICO is a solution. All right. So we're talking to Brad Garlinghouse. She's the CEO of Ripple. We're going to take a quick break now, and we'll be back after this. We're going to talk about where this is all going because I think we're in the first stage. Would you say we've been through the first stage of this? And Yeah, I think we're through yes, stage one. It's still early innings, but... Uh, there's a, a lot of. Why do men always say baseball metaphor? You know, I don't even like baseball. I and actually, I, I don't know if it's only men, but fair enough. All I don't right. like using it because it's actually a U.S. metaphor, which All isn't right. a great one. I should, you're right. I should All work right. on that. All right, we'll figure something else out. We'll be All back right. in a second with Brad Garlinghouse. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor. What's a mistake they made that changed their approach? And how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. We're here with Brad Garlinghouse. He's the CEO of Ripple. I have known him forever, and so I'm giving him a little bit of a hard time. But let's talk about your business itself. So you've signed up all these banks, and the con- what you're trying to do is essentially recreate it. How would you put it? I, I-, I want to get a sense We're trying of it. to rewire the global financial infrastructure. Right. Today, we depend upon technologies built truly decades ago. Mm-hmm. Such as wiring money. Or yeah, I mean, well, actually, this is an interesting kind of the, the etymology of that word. Mm-hmm. You wire money. Do you yeah. know what that comes from? From a wire, I'm guessing, right? A telegraph. Right, yeah. A yeah. telegraph yeah. wire, like from the 1800s. Yeah. Exactly. Western Union is exactly. what I'm right. I mean, the old version of Western Union. Yeah. So, you know, look, there's a lot of parts of our global financial ecosystem that are stitched together with very old technologies. Mm-hmm. We live in the world of the internet. Why is it that the fastest way, if you and I decided right now, let's mm-hmm. take $10,000 to London. Okay. Fastest way to get it there? In my suitcase, all in ones. Let's drive to SFO and buy a plane ticket and fly it there. Yeah, yeah. That's a crazy thought. Yeah. Like, the, the, the fastest way. In in 2019, you yeah, and I can stream I video it? from no, this. No, no, I couldn't Venmo because you have to send it Well, in you pieces. have to be intra-Venmo. Yeah, yeah. I go yeah. Venmo to Venmo, but if I want to go, I mean, yeah. not everybody's on Venmo. Not everybody's right. on the same banking system. It's hard system. to sign up, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I happen to bank with First Republic Bank. Mm-hmm. If I want to send money from First Republic Bank to... You know, a friend of mine in Germany, it's, 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 it's hard. And it's going to cost a bunch. I mean, you have to do it in chunks, too. It's, 
Yeah, it's very broken, mm -hmm. and there's an opportunity to leverage modern technologies, mm -hmm. blockchain technologies, to enable real-time settlement between financial institutions. Mm -hmm. So we've been out selling these technologies. We've signed the software. Up. The software. Software, as well as leveraging digital assets for liquidity. Mm -hmm. So the idea being that uh, the, the way the global financial ecosystem works for those cross-border transactions is the Bank of Kara, mm -hmm. you can be U.S. dollar, I'll be the Bank of Brad, and I'm the, I'm the Philippine peso. Mm -hmm. You would pre-fund pesos in my account, and I would pre-fund dollars in your account. And those are called the banking relationships with correspondent banking. And then we use those. We daisy-chain them through a system so that we can hop, hop, hop. And I don't have to have a relationship with everybody because you have a relationship with people, et cetera. Every hop adds time. It adds cost. It adds the risk of errors. There's an error rate in the global financial wiring system of about 6%. Hmm. That's a Imagine if 6% of your Google searches mm -hmm. resulted in an error. Right. You know, so I think it's, it's only a matter of time before these things change. We can debate whether or not Ripple will be successful, but there's no doubt in my mind that over the next 10, 15, 20 years, this will change. Mm -hmm. And it does get back to what Chris has talked about, from, Chris Larson has talked about from the very beginning. An internet of value, enabling value to move the way information moves today, I think will unequivocally happen. What are the challenges from your perspective right now? After doing this for a while, because again, the first part of this was all about weird parties in Puerto Rico and all kinds of stuff like that. A lot of that where these stories are stupid events here or weird people and yeah, you know, I mean, a lot, and then have, speculation around the price of Bitcoin. Well, I mean, here's an interesting kind of observation about how the industry has matured. Mm -hmm. You started with Silk Road. And right. when you talked about yes. crypto, it was about drugs, drugs and, and bad prostitution stuff. And, and it, then we went from terrorism. Silk Road to speculation. Mm-hmm. That's actually forward With progress. With a stop at terrorism. <laughs> With a stop at terrorism. Yeah. I mean, look, it, the industry needs to continue to mature. Mm -hmm. So uh, then you went to Bitcoin. Go ahead. Speculation. Well, I was going—you you went from illicit activity to speculation. Mm -hmm. And today, you're going from speculation to utility. Right. I don't think we're fully at utility yet because there's very few companies. In fact, I think Ripple is really the only company that has production use cases of blockchain and crypto or so, at scale. where is speculation now? I can't remember the last time I looked at Bitcoin price. Bitcoin's about $5,200. Uh, so, so it you went know. up and down. Wasn't it 20 or something? Yeah, it, was, it hit, I think, a high around 19000 20000 And, mm -hmm. you know, it came back down. To, you know, it has been called we're in the middle of a crypto winter, or mm -hmm. I think some people think we're now entering the crypto spring. Mm -hmm. I don't think about those descriptions so much. I mean, mm -hmm. Ripple, we look at this over not three weeks for three months or three years. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a long journey. But why the speculation? Explain to, I have some sense of it, but explain to regular people why, what's going on there? Well, it's kind of the speculation of the dot-com era. Mm -hmm. You know, the, and frankly, I think people, the pursuit of get-rich-quick schemes gets people excited. They mm -hmm. dive in. And so I think, you know, people, the speculation bubble was aggressive about, you know, 18 months ago. Mm -hmm. I think as time has passed, people are increasingly focused on, you know, are these technologies solving a real problem? Right. And I think there will be, continue to be a weeding out. I think it's actually a healthy thing for the market. I've been public in saying, I think if there's roughly 2,000 different crypto tokens out there, I've said that 99% of them, I think, will go to zero. To zero. To zero. Which ones remain? And why do you need them? Again, to explain for regu the regular peoples. Well, I mean, why do you need them? It depends on what use case. You mm -hmm. know, some people have taken the point of view there's going to be one, one set of crypto to rule them all. I don't— A global cryptocurrency. Yeah, I don't really subscribe to that. I think the, the different use cases for different— Such as? 
Well, what Ripple is doing around cross-border transactions, we use a technology in our tech stack called the XRP ledger. Mm -hmm. XRP is a the third most valuable cryptocurrency. It's market cap, you know, it, well, it trades at about, I don't know, 30 to 32 cents. I don't know where it is right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's part of how we manage liquidity for these financial mm -hmm. institutions. And it allows you, instead of that pre-funding I was describing earlier, mm -hmm. where the Bank of Cara put Philippine pesos, the Bank of Brad, you now can shoot off payments in real time instead of pre-funding sure. between the dollar and the peso by using XRP as a bridge currency in effect. Right, a bridge currency. So it's not really a currency. Well, that's well, an currency interesting— currency is just an agreement between people that this is worth something, right? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. The word currency mm -hmm. uh, has different definitions to different people. I mean, I think about currency as something that is fiat currency, meaning mm -hmm. you can go use it at Starbucks. Right. It makes no sense, in my opinion, in the United States to go use Bitcoin or XRP at Starbucks. Right. The dollar works. Your DC dollar works. Does work. Yeah. Uh, now, that isn't necessarily true in some other markets and countries where holding fiat currency actually— Dangerous. It just has a lot of inflation, and there's some currencies yep, yep. that are weak. That's how it was. That's why once it started, right? That's exactly right. Right. Uh, so well, I'm not. Isn't the dollar Bitcoin then? Isn't isn't the dollar just that now? Hasn't it become that? How do you mean? How isn't the dollar the currency? Shouldn't globally? So, globally, shouldn't there just be one? No. Okay. I mean, th that's. I well, sorry, <laughs> so dismissive. You can dismiss I, it. I don't think that. that from a sovereignty of nations' point of view, right? You have the yen, you have the euro, you have the RMB, you have the rupee, you I have mean, the dollar. I mean, leading to? That there'll be one, oh, one cryptocurrency so. to rule them all? Look, I mean, you've seen what's happened in the eurozone mm -hmm. by bringing on some countries whose behavior uh, with, you know, fiscal behavior has mm -hmm. caused problems to the rest of the eurozone because they standardized around the euro. Mm -hmm. You know, unless you're going to have uh, regulatory frameworks and I'm thinking of Greece in particular mm -hmm. as one that, you know, obviously was problematic, where I think the Eurozone probably wishes Greece had not come in to use the euro, mm -hmm. and uh, that became complicated. Right. So I, I don't subscribe to the idea that there's going to be one currency to rule them all, whether it's fiat or digital. So there won't be one cryptocurrency. This will be one that people use a lot, for example. I think I just think there'll be different use cases for different things. I, I'm actually—I own Bitcoin, I'm, so I'm, quote, long Bitcoin— but, you know, Bitcoin is not going to be used for a, solve a payments problem. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin as a technology is slow in terms of transaction speed, and it's expensive on a per-transaction basis. Mm -hmm. You know, worst of all, probably, it's power consumption. I mean, I'm sure you've yes. read about these things. But it's it's a little bit shocking, the, the percentage of global power. Like, Bitcoin alone represents almost 1% of global power consumption. I can't believe you're surprised people are greedy as fuck. But that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Of course it's using it. Why not? Well, I mean— They could dredge, But, but there's other know, ways to use— the, like If they could dredge—let me think of something so bad. The, if they could dredge the bay here and knock over the Golden Gate Bridge for money, they'd do it. You'd know they would. I, I think that there's— Thank you. Uh, that is my uh, TED other, Talk today. <laughs> there's other ways— I mean, you can use these technologies for great benefit. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things that I find most compelling about what Ripple's doing is— mm -hmm. There is a massive population that is either unbanked, underbanked, right. or those that are the most penalized by the current system. I mean, think about it. The, the population that is paying the cross-border remittance costs, mm -hmm. I mean, you're talking—that's the, the population people. can least afford it. Right, right. And yet, I was at a talk by uh, the chief economist of the World Bank, and he said their goal was by 2030 to reduce the average remittance cost 
from 600 basis points or 6% mm-hmm. to 300 basis points by 2030. Which is not still. I, 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 I happened to be speaking right after him at this event, and I, I kind of started my talk respectfully by saying— Should if be we, zero. Well, not or zero, low. but, you know, let's talk about how do we get to 30 basis points. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's achievable. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that if we reduce the friction— measured by cost and speed that mm-hmm. we can unlock in terms of what's possible. It's so everybody could be banked. Like this, this term unbanked has been a big one I've heard. A lot of places I go, there's the unbanked. And it's most people who are moving around money or whatever. Well, I mean, you know, some people say they blame the banks for the unbanked. But mm-hmm. banks are profit-motivated entities. If they can profitably serve a segment of population, they will do so. Mm-hmm. The challenge is if you're a migrant worker, you know, between you know, countries and you want to you know, carry your currency, you have to either deal with marauders who might try to steal it. Mm-hmm. Or if you're moving it through some sort of banking establishment, you know, they're going to take a lot of that value because you're transferring kind of back and forth. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we don't think about that when we walk to Starbucks in downtown San Francisco, but there are billions of people who uh, are not, have not been brought into the financial ecosystem. And I think any time in history you have reduced the cost and increased the efficiency of a technology— You bring more people into it. Correct. I mean, like text phones. messaging— phones. phones, Well, phones and text messaging even more so. You know, it, you and I both remember when sending one text message might have cost 25 sure. or 50 cents. Yep, yep, yep. And now as that cost came down to effectively zero— you know, Well, the, the phone itself, I think, really is even more so. The concept of everybody having— Yeah, every, yeah but everybody, everybody had, Yeah, I even think, though, in the late 90s, like, everybody had—a a lot of people had mobile phones, but mm-hmm. sending one text message costs, absolutely. like, 25 cents. Right, right. So you were very thoughtful about how many texts you send. Nowadays, it's like, I don't know, you don't think about it. You don't think about it at all. You don't think about any of it. You, you don't even think, think about it as having a cost to send a text. Do you remember text. thinking about international calls? Oh, yeah. Like, uh, I had—I'm not going to say which Google executive, because he's under scrutiny right now, but uh, one was complaining about when they first got the iPhone and the international pricing— I don't remember. I, nothing worse than a billionaire complaining about the cost of something. I was like, I don't care. I'm so glad you got cheated. Uh, in any case, let's get to the problems that you see foresee right now. What are what are some of the big issues that you imagine I mean, being a problem? I think one of the challenges that is often talked about in this space is regulatory uh, yeah. comfort and uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And you know, I spend a you know probably 20 or 25% of my time flying around the world meeting with regulators globally, mm-hmm. more often than not, that's simply education. Mm-hmm. You know, people, they hear the word crypto and they go to that Silk Road place. You know, I, I quickly explained to them, Ripple-enabled technologies, Ripple-enabled transactions, all of them are kyc meaning know your customer. Mm-hmm. All of them are checked for AML, anti-money laundering. All mm-hmm. of them are checked for OFAC compliance. You know, name your acronym for financial regulation. And we... What Ripple's doing is not circumventing any regulatory frameworks. And so once regulators understand, they're like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. The challenge is that when you hear crypto, they don't necessarily assume that. Right. And so there's a, 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 a journey. You know, frankly, the reason I'm in a tie today, which I'm not sure if last time I've, you saw I'm me not, in a tie. Yes, I never. Uh, it's lovely is, suit. You know, I'm spending, <laughs> spending time I'm wearing ta- my soul cycle outfit. <laughs> but go ahead. Spending time, you know, talking to regulators and making sure they understand. Which regulators are you talking to today? Uh, the Milken Institute is uh, having their event down in Los Angeles. Oh, you're going down to Los Angeles. I'm coming back. I just oh, okay. got back. Who, who were you Trump. on the stage with discussing this? Oh, there were a lot of regulators hanging that place. A lot of people. That's like dripping with regular global. Just dripping. Ugh, I can't. I can't go there anymore. I'll be honest with you. They invited me. I was like, no, I'm busy. I made busy. something up. You're busy with me. I am, but I made something up. I was like, <laughs> I can't. Better take than an that. International world of blabbers. That's really what I think. Oh, now I'll never be invited again. Oh, well, which was my goal right then. Um, so reassuring them that it will not be 
used for illicit purposes. One. I think any new technology can mm-hmm. be used for illicit purposes, and we Hence need to the make sure pornography, child, pedophilia. To even today, I remember the Communications Decency Act when that was passed. Like, these were important steps, and we'll go through the same important steps in making sure that these new technologies are used constructively in a way that helps society. And uh, you know, all right, so, so th- regulators one current banking systems, the bank com- the companies who have been somewhat resistant. I I mean, look, we have had an unbelievably positive reception. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, 2018, which people call the crypto winter, was a phenomenal year for us as a company. Mm-hmm. Q1, we hit all of our goals for the quarter. Like it, it, Things are going extremely well. Uh, and it's because we're solving a real problem. So do we have a long way to go in the kind of journey we're on of really enabling an Internet of Value? 100%. Right, so what are the problems from the banks that you see? Because you would, if you did this correctly, it's like going to the media companies back in the internet days, like, we're not going to hurt you, but really, that's really what you're doing. Well, that's a good point, but it belies how the banking system works at that level. There's a small number, kind of an oligopoly of what we call money center banks. Mm-hmm. They are the global banks that make money. You know, Citibank made about $8 billion last year mm-hmm. from other banks. Right. Because if you bank with a, you know, a regional bank, mm-hmm. if, if I may ask, where do you bank? Wells Fargo. So Wells Fargo is not considered a tier one money center bank. Mm-hmm. So if you're going, you know, they certainly work with a city to reach certain corridors. And mm-hmm. depending on where you're sending money, city is taxing Wells. Mm-hmm. Wells doesn't love the idea that they're paying city. Mm-hmm. So it turns out 99% of banks love what we're doing. Right. Because we're democratizing something that's controlled by a small number of banks. They're competitors. The, to make the markets, right? To get through between markets. Because they have the most liquidity they've pre-funded around the world. City, Deutsche Bank, JPM. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the, the, the big kind of money center banks that mm-hmm. uh, other banks use. So how much resistance do those big banks put up for you? Well, I have publicly said that I thought Citibank was going to be our last customer. Why is that? Because they're the biggest of the big—they right. they make more money. What's than, the benefit for them doing this? There isn't. Yeah, I think that's—I <laughs> mean, you and I have been in Silicon Valley a long time. It's a classic innovator's dilemma. Mm-hmm. Do you lean into—these technologies are going to happen. How mm-hmm. long do you wait to adopt them, and how much market share do you lose mm-hmm. by waiting? So uh, I think some big money center-type banks are actually leaning into these technologies because they see this is the future, and they want to make sure that they are on board. Mm-hmm. And if they can go to Citi's customers and say, hey, I can enable these global transactions for you and reduce the cost significantly. So what then is the role of a bank from your perspective? I don't think, you know, again, some in the crypto community would argue at this point, but mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think banks go, I don't think governments go away. Mm-hmm. And if governments go, don't go away, banks aren't going to go away. Mm-hmm. Banks are applying a very important regulatory framework that I actually think is important for society. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think, I personally believe that banks will continue to serve that role. They're good at it. Uh, I mean, sure, maybe they could be better at it, and we can point to lots of ways that they have, you know, maybe could have been better. But, you know, there's lots of ways I think banks will continue to be part of the solution in this. I think this is a new set of technologies that they can benefit from to grow their business. All right. So when we get back, we're going to talk more about where this is going. Um, So when you think of yourself, before we finish, as the the crypto group, you're all not together. It's not people do tend to lump everyone in. in Yeah. You make a really important point. Mm -hmm. I it's important to me that people understand this is not one big group. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in Washington, there's various kind of uh, lobbying organizations coming together, and a lot of them we won't join because they have as their members some people who espouse the, the criticality of anonymous transactions. Mm-hmm. That is not going to fly. Right. 
Uh, not with know, regulators. For not sure. with regulators. Well, it turns out regulators globally, it's mm-hmm. not just the United States. Yeah. Y- y- that is not going to fly. Mm-hmm. And so I, I want well, We do to, have the Cayman Islands, don't we? And Swiss <laughs> banks. And so they exist. I mean, not anymore. But this, yeah. Swiss banks in the last 20 years, that's changed mm-hmm. dramatically. Mm-hmm. And so I just they think— They have we, pierced the veil. We want to change the system by working with the system. And I think mm-hmm. trying to hold on to ideas that are counter to fundamental tenets of the current system are—it's just going to slow adoption down, which is— these are profound technologies that can really benefit society in lots of ways. We can reduce the friction of global commerce. We can allow people globally more access to the economies around the world to compete. Uh, I think that's actually a really good thing. All right. We're here with Brad Garlinghouse, an apologist for banks. Now I'm kidding. <laughs> the CEO of Ripple. We're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back after this. Okay, we're here with Brad Garlinghouse. He is actually one of my favorite people in Silicon Valley. Don't tell him. Um, he's sitting right here. He's very funny. He's always he's always very uh, affable when I insult uh, him and his friends. I allow you to insult me, and I smile. You do. You smile. I think I know what you're thinking. What are you thinking? Actually, you're thinking that jackass. No, yeah, I actually, I, I have you and I met in the late '90s, mm-hmm. and uh, I yeah, think we did. You've always been a, a trying to keep you honest voice. Thank you. I'm trying to keep you honest. Like as long as, as long as you like respond, I really appreciate yeah. it. But but let's talk about where banking is going, and not just banking, but currency. Um, regulatory issues are an issue. Big banks, power of big banks, the lobbying power. The sure. things take a while to break apart. Although everyone thought media companies own, you know, hung the moon forever, and now yeah. they're in a much more prone position to companies like Facebook and others. And Vox. Vox. Yeah. Right. Yeah, us over here. Hey, it's us. So we're irritating and small, but that's a, that's the how I like it. Where are then the power centers? Where does bank like Amazon? Where I always think they should have a they should be doing this. This is kind of something Well, I think it's an interesting question and you are seeing uh It's the know, one company I think, not Facebook. Everyone's always Facebook. I'm like, not Facebook, it's Amazon. Well, I mean, you, you know, obviously Apple has announced some things yes, recently Apple, with Apple course. Pay. Yeah. Uh, Amazon has made some noises and partnered with Chase and some mm-hmm. things. I think you're going to continue to see digital-first companies lean into this space, mm-hmm. and uh, to the extent it can be done better, then I think you're going to see companies like Amazon say, uh, you know, I have a ton of respect for Amazon. And mm-hmm. I think uh, if if Amazon were to offer solutions around payments, do you think it would take four days to send a pay- payment to London? No. And cost, you know, I, actually a gentleman who used to work at Ripple sent me an email this week. He had invested in a company in uh, Europe, and... You know, he had a four percent fee. On a, it was an investment, so it wasn't a small check. A four percent mm-hmm. fee by the time that is all settled, right? To get I, the money there. Yeah, like it, that is crazy. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that if Amazon were to aggressively enter this market, and you asked the question earlier, what is the incentive for the biggest of the big, the cities, to lean in? Well, if they don't, and Amazon launches or Apple or fill in blank, right? Where does that leave them? Right. Who do you think is most likely of the current, or is it just be new companies that will be doing this new bank? I don't. What would you call them? I mean, you have digital first banks, right? right. I mean, mobile only banks. Uh, I don't have the list in front of it. You know that you are seeing lots of activity in this space. In you know, the, the slower the incumbents are to evolve, the more you're going to see competition enter. Yeah, but digital first banks still have to operate in the current banking system, For which sure. is settling. They can't still can't do the settlements without fees. Yeah, that's true. But I thought you were going to go that they still have to enforce regulatory frameworks and, you know, very globally. But, yeah, in various countries around the world, you're seeing more and more entrepreneurial efforts around, you know, launching new kinds of financial institutions, payments. I mean, here locally, SoFi, you Mm -hmm. know, lots of people are going into this space. And 
maybe that's because some financial institutions have been relatively slow to yeah. evolve. Yeah, yeah. That, so that's what, so that's what talk feeds to me Silicon about Valley. The, the trend. What, so you all would be providing systems, really, to do this? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think, you know, I grew up in Kansas, and mm-hmm. when my mom asked us what we do, it's like very simplistically, I, I sell software to banks. Right. Like, Why not become the bank? Well, that is an interesting question. Uh, I mean, we many people have thought Ripple could do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so think about what that means. That means every customer we have, we have to go through the KYC, know your customer process, mm-hmm. and you have to enforce all of those regulatory frameworks. If I were to go into that directly, I think our success in fundamentally changing the way this works, rewiring it more quickly, mm-hmm. would go much more slowly. Mm-hmm. So the benefit to that Filipino worker would take longer to reach as opposed to saying, no, 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 let's take, let's go. The banks already have the customers. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we, I've been fond of saying if you want to enable an Internet of value, you have to connect the repositories of value. Right. The repositories of value are the banks. Right. If, and if the you customers want, they have. If you want to kind of create a whole new system and, you know, compete with the banks and get the money on your account. You mean shifting people off of the things they normally do. Well, that's happened again and again and it in will, the internet space. Thing. Everyone had a phone in their house. Everybody, I just found a story the other day. I wrote a column about it in the Times where I had a landline phone. Who the hell has a landline phone? I mean, some people do, yeah. but really, you know what I mean? Like right. it shifted quickly. It shifted quickly on public phones. It's yeah. shifted. It does shift quicker than you think. People do change their behaviors. Yeah. Banking has been slower in that regard, but yeah. I think the banks continue to provide a very important role, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, you may call me a, a bank apologist. I, mm-hmm. I just think that— That's the but, crypto people talking. <laughs> they called me before this. <laughs> I just think that, uh, that in, the glo- in the scale of global financial infrastructure, banks and big payment providers, like the, that's where it's at. And, you know, I'll give you an example. You know, a big oil company mm-hmm. wanted to meet with us because— they have truck drivers in Nigeria who don't have bank accounts and they need to pay them. Mm-hmm. They have Impeza accounts. Right. Well, you can't from, you know, this is a big oil company and they mm-hmm. bank at some Dallas. of the biggest banks. But those banks can't settle a transaction to Impeza. Right. Or to PayPal or to Alipay or to, you know, we fundamentally look at the world and say, how do we stitch this together in an interoperable way so that sending a payment from City to Impeza or somebody else, like that's just, just happens. No problem. How but, do you look at those payment providers like Impeza or Venmo or PayPal or the others? I think they're all part of the fabric that needs to be interoperable. Right. So that it would go, the payments would go right there. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I was on stage with Dan Schulman, who I respect immensely PayPal recently, CEO. PayPal CEO. And, you know, there's an interesting irony. You know, PayPal owns Venmo. Mm-hmm. They do. If you look at the FAQs on PayPal for how to move money from PayPal to Venmo, you have to move the money from Venmo to your bank. Yes, and then to and then PayPal. back to PayPal. Yeah, it's crazy. It's totally I was just crazy. Paying someone a larger amount the other day, and I was like, I cannot believe this. Is, I couldn't do. I had reached my limit for this month, and I was like, why? And I wrote, why? Like, why is that my limit for this month if I have the money? Like, what's the— You're a sketchy operator. I know I am. <laughs> I run a serious, you know, uh, you know, I don't know. What would I run? What would I? What kind of sketchy things? You know, I, I don't even want to— I'm, I'm not going to play operation, that game. A boxing operation, a shadow boxing operation. My, my point is yes, that I'm there's well so many— drug dealer. It's going to come out. It's going to be amazing. There's so many examples where this friction yeah. exists. And yeah. I think the fastest way for Ripple to impact that isn't to try to go get people to onboard— So you're a software company— for banks. Financial institutions. So what broadly. then happens to Bitcoin and the rest of them? It just continues? Well, the rest of them was a long. That's yeah. a, 
I, I think a lot of them, they have no they use away. case. Right. And I think, you know, they right. will. Where is the actual, I want to finish up talking about, where's the actual use cases for consumers? How long does it take to get to them? So I think uh, that question goes back to what we were talking about earlier. And, you know, we referenced Wences Casares, a very talented guy from Argentina. Mm-hmm. I think the consumer use case in Argentina, I can get my head around. Meaning? Meaning that you have a currency there that you may not want to hold because it's very inflationary. You have a very high credit card fee cost where mm-hmm. it's, you know, six, 700 basis points so for a small— for, yeah. you know, that, that is expensive. Mm-hmm. And in that context, you could see crypto actually impacting and get, get, starting to infiltrate mm-hmm. traditional transactions. Mm-hmm. I think in the United States, the dollar works. Your visa is not that expensive— and I think uh, it's not in my lifetime. I think we're going to see any yeah, erosion I would agree. It of the dollar. Shift. It's like oil. It's like oil is still cheapest yeah, compared it, to everything else. Now, do I think Bitcoin? I mean, I don't. I don't think about Bitcoin as a currency. Back to my scalability. It a, yeah. Bitcoin it, could it be digital gold, mm-hmm. where it's a store of value. And if you want to, you know, people buy gold today for mm-hmm. a host of reasons. And they don't actually own gold. They do, but they don't. Some people do. Yeah. I mean, it depends. But, you know. You and I watch Billions. We know we have a safe <laughs> full of gold. Did you see that one? They... I love that show, actually. I love that show. Uh, that, I love yeah, the yeah, lady. Topic. The <laughs> The bullion, whatever the hell. My she point had. being that you know the, the use case for Bitcoin maybe it's a store of value that mm-hmm. allows you know, people want to. It's, it's the next. It's digital diamonds, gold, right? Yeah, or digital diamonds. I, mean, I don't know if people really hold diamonds as a store of value, but maybe they do. What all are you right. talking about? And like they hold all everything. Loose diamond. oh, okay, all right. Diamonds, art, lots of things. Well, right, art for sure. That's what Elizabeth guess... Warren wants to tax, my friend. In case you're interested, the art, the wine, the all the other thing you rich people have. Do you have a lot of wine now that you're really rich? I don't really drink as much as I used to when really? I was younger. Yeah. Interesting. What do you hold? What do you, you hold? Bitcoin. You hold. I hold all- Bitcoin. I hold XRP, which is uh, part of Ripple's technology stack. Mm-hmm. That's basically it. Do you hold cash anymore, or like yeah, well, dollars? I mean, I, I mean, my friends kind of make fun of me. I still use cash. Yeah. I, I think if you're going to tip people. Okay, not tip people, but when you think of value, you own stock. What do you? How, oh, do you, how, how do should people think of wealth anymore? Well, I mean, I do subscribe to the idea of just from a portfolio allocation. You know, when friends of mine ask me, "Hey, should I invest in crypto?" Mm-hmm. I, the story I often tell them, which you'll appreciate, mm-hmm. in 1999, it was not obvious that Google was going to win. Right. Had you bought a basket of the ten search engines, which included Lycos and Infoseek and Lycos. I remember can't remember them? web crawler, Altavista, Infoseek. I remember him. <laughs> he had a house that was totally. Steve yes, he had a house. He's he's a funny guy. He had a house that was totally wired before everybody else. Like like you pushed a button and like you know one of those digital lighting everything everything in the house was like that. If you bought the ten okay. search engines, you got Google right. And if you had you know involved, kind of equally Wouldn't that would have worked out great. Yeah, your IRR on that investment yeah. would have worked out really well. Right. I have told my friends I think about what's going on in crypto somewhat similarly. Mm-hmm. I, I can't say with certainty how this is going to play out. Mm-hmm. There is no doubt in my mind that digital assets are here to stay. Digital assets are going to be solving real problems and how the global transactions occur. And, you know, having exposure, I, I wouldn't go all in on any of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I happen to unobjectively say I think what we're doing in the XRP mm-hmm. ecosystem, what I see other companies doing in the XRP ecosystem is very interesting. Mm-hmm. But that's also like saying, you know, why didn't Lycos win and why did Google, you know, it's just, it's, it's early. It's early in the... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can tell you. Um, but but so, so there has to be, so the companies in this thing, if people are thinking about it, is the actual currencies like Bitcoin 
and the holding companies to store and buy them. Yep. Then the software to make it work, and what else? Well, that's pretty much it. I mean, I, I think about it as the, you have the application layer, the software to make it work. You have an application layer. Ripple's an application mm-hmm. layer around correspondent banking. You have, I think, a, as an example, a, a compelling company called BitPay. It's, mm-hmm. I think, the the leading kind of consumer payments. So you can use your Bitcoin to buy things on the internet. Mm-hmm. And it's you know, part of the checkout process. Amount. It's still small, but you know, that, Not everyone's that, taking you'd Bitcoin. be surprised. BitPay is doing incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, you know, they're an application layer on top of that so infrastructure. you want to buy, like, Whatever lunch, you can't buy lunch still. But go ahead. No, I well, I, I can't name off the top of my head, but right. I'll go people look. are integrating BitPay the same way they integrated PayPal. Right, got it. Okay, you're right. You're right. Fair at, point. At Fair checkout. Point. Yep. And I, you'd have to ask the CEO of BitPay, yeah. and he's but you a have to have smart Bitcoin guy. To do it right. Uh, they support a couple different. I can't remember exactly what they support, but uh, yes, you'd have to own a digital asset in order to mm-hmm. facilitate those transactions. Right. Okay. But my point being, that's, that's the, application the application layer. Right. You have the storage layer we already talked about and, right. you know, the exchanges. Mm-hmm. You know, there's hundreds of exchanges around the world now. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are doing really, really, really well. You know, some of them have gotten into trouble because they haven't been as regulatory mm-hmm. on point. Yeah, uh, government will come down on that stuff. But it continues to, I right. think, in general, government macro ignores level. everything Facebook does, but Bitcoin, they're we're not on it. it now. Yeah, they're not. Now, what, Facebook? I know that. I know. What do you, let me finish with that. What do you think about all that, Brad, having worked for all these companies? Like, I, I'm going to maybe, if I may, keep it at a macro level. Okay. I, I think we all in Silicon Valley and, frankly, even more broadly, I think we have a responsibility to be good citizens. Mm-hmm. And I think that manifests itself in lots of ways. And I think there are examples I can point to where I think some of the companies that you and I have known, you know, they're like, would I have done it that way? Maybe mm-hmm. not. Right. Uh, and How does that change? Do you think it's going to change now? Regulation, obviously, is one way. Yeah. And I mean, look, for better or for worse, which smart people can debate, I think that some of the largest players have invited that regulatory scrutiny Mm -hmm. and there will be regulation, I expect, coming out of that. And uh, I don't know if that's I think it's because, for example, your stuff is going to sort it out better because you're in a regulatory environment to start with. Cars are a regulatory environment. All that's going to be a lot faster and more innovative because it's already within a regulatory scheme work. That might have to change, obviously, but... People are used to it. Healthcare. Yeah. That's why they're so much slower, too, in a weird way. And the stuff that hasn't has all the problem are, are without any regulation. Without any. Yeah. Well, it's also, or these it's are new problems, right? I mean, really? the, your... Hate is not a new problem. No, no, I'm talking about uh, data privacy. Right. You know, 20 years ago, your, your, your life didn't exist on servers on the internet. Or papers. You're right. Yes, I got it, that. It, yeah. And now they do, and mm-hmm. you know, these are new problems. And I, I, I mean, yes, I'm not commenting on the. Mm-hmm. Yes, hate is a problem. And look, I, I personally am not a big social media user, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But I, I do think those platforms have a more of an obligation than they embrace to correct these things. I actually did tweet something out, which again I don't do a lot of, but. I in, I have people impersonating me on these various platforms. Really? And say, Why? <laughs> I, should have, I should have drawn your attention Why? to that. Why? And, it, you know, I, I submitted to Instagram, yeah. like, this person's impersonating me, and I got a, a, a feedback back. They're like, no, it's you. Oh, no. <laughs> I was flabbergasted. That, you want me to call them? It, no, it's been fixed. But, uh, you know, like, I, I acknowledge they have a hard problem, but yeah. 
if you created the problem, you got to own the problem. Yeah, I, that's what I say to them all the time. You made it. Like, I love every time one of them, it's always Mark, like, we need to work on this together. I'm like, I'm not working on this. I've got things to do. I got to go, you know, get the cat vaccinated. You can handle this. You started it. You know what I mean? I'll, th- I'll take care of my stuff. But anyway, it's just an interesting problem. Do you have any advice, again, last thing, for people who really want to get into this as, a, as an industry, for entrepreneurs? What's the, what's the thing you're like, I, I think making caution a, against? I, I'm not, well, I was a little bit cautioned, but I would lean into that. I think, you know, there's, as we talked about at the very, very beginning of these conversations, you know, there's macro trends happening. And I think blockchain is a macro trend that I think is not going away. It's going to impact lots of parts, uh, mm-hmm. lots of industries in the same manner the internet impacted lots of industries. And so becoming expert in this space is a really good thing. There's going to be more and more companies launched addressing different use cases. My only counsel, I guess, to the extent I have cautionary notes is, you know, Focus on the substance, not the hype. Mm-hmm. As it happened in the internet, you know, people added dot com. You know, in this, you had people adding, you know, blockchain this, right. and it's just like, sure. are you solving a real problem, right. and or are you just you know, is it catnip for an investor to That's say right. I'm a crypto company, I'm a blockchain company? Right. Like, no, it, these technologies are profound. I think will impact many things, but focus on you know one thing. Don't try to peanut butter. and No peanut butter. That is a very wise thing to say. You're right. People don't do that. Catnip. I like Catnip it. for investors. I like that a lot. Do you know I had Bitcoin? Do you know that? You don't anymore? I lost the thing. <laughs> I had it on a little drive. Whatever. I lost the drive. I had 10 Bitcoin. That's worth a lot of money now. I know. It was worth a lot back when it got up to 20. Yeah. I was, ugh, I'm such an idiot. I had 10 Bitcoin. I was doing a story on it like when Wentz is like 100 years ago. Yeah, well, it was That's, cheap then. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, I know it was. Thank you very much. Kara Swisher, like, threw away. Like, I probably, like, threw it out in the garbage with my peanut butter sandwiches and things like that. Anyway, I'm not going to be doing any cryptocurrency investing as I do not do any technology investing. I don't think I do that. Yeah. Makes yeah. sense, actually. Yeah. Anyway, Brad, thank you. It's great talking to you. Thanks for coming on the show. And thanks to you all for listening. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. And please tell a friend about the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. Brad, where can people find all your personalities online? <laughs> <laughs> My personality. Yeah. I don't tweet that often, but I, uh, at B Garlinghouse. All right. Okay. And then, and then for Ripple, at Ripple. Presumably. Uh, yes, yeah, I whatever. think so. Yeah, you're not a big social... You're not, you're not like, calling attention to yourselves, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not, whatever. Not so much. Yeah. Now that you're done with this, go and check out our other podcast, Recode Media and Pivot. You can find those shows wherever you found this one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode, and thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then.